The following message is from Temple Bible Church. For more information about the church and its ministries, visit www.templebiblechurch.org. I got, I got to tell you, I love Christmas, and I do mean that I love Christmas in all this God incarnate Jesus came way, but that's not what I'm talking about right now. I love Christmas like a kid loves Christmas. And if you didn't know, I wear a size iPhone 8 Plus. I love getting gifts. It's more blessed to give than to receive. The Bible says that. I want to bless you. And I'm awful about looking for gifts. My wife will tell you that. And parents, if you're bad at hiding gifts, that's not your kid's fault. My mom and dad would tell that story different, but they're not here. Love Christmas. There's this thing about Christmas, and sometimes it works out really well, and sometimes it doesn't, and we kind of know both scenarios, and one is that you, you have this gift that you're giving to someone, and you just know they are going to love it, and it's going to blow them away. Nine years ago, November 11th, an uncle that had raised me passed away, um, and it was just such a sad Christmas season because I was missing my Uncle John. And, and Laura, Christmas morning, it's nine years ago, I can feel the lump right now, but I'm all right. She brings me this little box. I wasn't expecting it, I hadn't asked for it, and I knew what it was when she, when she handed me this box. So my uncle was just a real simple guy, lived in a small town in southeast Texas. You can't tell from my accent, I live there too, Right? But he loved this type of really nice boots. He had three pair. He wore them for about 30 years. And Laura hands me this box. And I knew exactly what it was. And I was just blown away. And every time I put those boots on for the last nine years, I think about my uncle or I think about my wife and what a blessing that was. I didn't wear them today because I would have cried like a baby if I had them on telling you this. Such a special gift. But then there's this other time where you're doing this and you got this gift and it's going to blow somebody away. It's just going to be amazing. Everything about it is perfect and you give it to them. And, and maybe they open it and love it for five minutes and then, especially if they're a little kid, they're back to the tissue paper and box. Or maybe they, they just kind of look at it and you've spent either a lot of time or a lot of money and they're like, oh, sucks, that's great. And it's, it just doesn't turn out how you hope that it would. See, that's what happens to Israel in 1 Samuel. They've got the prophet Samuel, and he's serving the Lord and bringing them a word from the Lord. And the Bible even says that the the Lord let none of his words fall to the ground. But then, by the time chapter 8 rolls around in the book of of 1 Samuel, the people aren't satisfied. And they want a king. They don't just want a king, though. They want a savior, and they want a deliverer, and the problem is they already had one. So the elders come together. The elders come together, and I'm going to need my clicker if we're going to have slides this morning. And they say to Samuel, give us a king to judge us like the rest of the nations. We want to be like the other nations, so give us a king who will judge us. And then verse 6, but the thing displeased Samuel when they said, give us a king to judge us. And so Samuel prayed to the Lord, and the Lord said to Samuel, obey the voice of the people that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, 
but they've rejected me from being king over them. See, God was Israel's Savior King. They've not rejected you, they've rejected me. From the day I brought them, verse 8 says, out of Egypt, Egypt even to this day, they've forsaken me and they've served other gods. So they're not rejecting you, they're rejecting me. So Samuel warns the people as God then tells them to do. Warn them, this is what's going to happen when I give them a king. So he warns them, but the people, you skip down to verse 19, the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel. And they said, no, but there shall be a king over us so that we may also be like all the other nations so that this king will judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. Wasn't that the very thing that God had been doing? So Saul was chosen to be king. The Bible says in 1 Samuel 9.1, there was a man of Benjamin, the tribe of Benjamin. His name was Kish, and he was a wealthy man. He had a son whose name was Saul. He was handsome. There was not a man among the people of Israel more handsome than he. From his shoulders upward, he was taller than all the other people. He was head and shoulders literally above the rest. People ask, his father was a man of wealth. How did he get all that wealth? He was the first guy to ever invent a dandruff shampoo. It's called Head and Shoulders. You see what I did there? That was Saul's dad. Nobody knows that. That may or may not be true. So Samuel anoints Saul as king at the beginning of chapter 10. Then you jump down in chapter 10 to verse 17. Now Samuel called all the people together to the Lord at Mizpah, and he said to the people, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I brought up Israel out of Egypt, and I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians, from the hand of all the kingdoms that were oppressing you. But today you have rejected your God who saves you from all your calamities. See, they had a Savior King, Jehovah God, and they rejected Him. And you've said, set a king over us. Now, therefore, present yourselves to the Lord by your tribes and by your thousands. And so Saul becomes king. And I've just got to tell you that this project, set a king over us, did not go well. There were maybe two or three great kings in the history of Israel, but they even had these incredible flaws. King David, Jesus was the son of David. King David, an adulterer and murderer. Then his son Solomon, a serial adulterer with a capital S, 900 concubines. And they were the good ones, right? And so the king project for Israel rolls downhill like a snowball headed for somewhere. And God's people end up in exile. Then their relationship with God is broken so much so that there is silence from God for 400 years. Now that just rolls out, oh yeah, 400 years. What that means is that literally people who were God worshipers, they lived and died and lived and died and lived and died with not a word from God. It's an awful time. They're oppressed by Rome and then they have a puppet king of these Roman occupiers named Herod, who is sinister. And so a thousand years later, they're still waiting for the Savior King that they had rejected. And so, enter baby Jesus. Joseph, we know the story, he's betrothed to this woman Mary. 
She becomes pregnant and she tells him this story of what has happened and he's going to put her away secretly. He's a good man, so he's not going to have her stoned. But he considered these things and an angel of the Lord came to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. See, this is the chief mistake Israel made for a thousand years. It's the chief mistake we make. We want a king who will save us from the things outside of us when more than any of those things, we need a king who will save us from the things inside of us. He will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin will conceive, will bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is God with us. That's from Isaiah 7:14. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will conceive, and you shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. So Jesus is the king they've been waiting for that saves. The shepherds are told the same thing as Luke tells it. The angel said to them, fear not, behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, Bethlehem, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this is the sign you'll find a baby wrapped in cloth, lying in a manger. Jesus is the Savior King. He was the Savior King. He will be the Savior King. There is no other Savior King. We, we forget this. We forget this. We look to other things for it. We look within ourselves. We look to our own goodness or our own lineage or our potential success. And God has spoken that all these ships are ships destined to sink. And God told his people this. He told them over and over and over. So if you go about 300 years after, after King Saul, then one of those few good kings, Uzziah, has died and Isaiah the prophet is prophesying and he tells us all these things about the Lord and just a few places where God reminds the people, I'm the Savior King. Isaiah 43, 1 through 3. Now says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, He who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by my name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. See, they, they knew this because they had passed through the waters on dry ground. And he was with them. When you walk through the rivers like they did the Jordan, they will not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire like those Hebrew children would walk through the fire, he's saying, I will be with you and the flame shall not consume you. Why? For I'm the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Well, in case the people didn't get it, Isaiah says it again in verse 10 and 11. You're my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I've chosen, that you may know and believe me. Understand, I am he. Before me no God was formed. There shall be none after me, for I am the Lord, and besides me there is no Savior. He says it again, Isaiah 45, 22 and 23. Turn to me and be saved all the ends of the earth. Why? For I am God and there is no other. By myself I have sworn. From my mouth has gone out in righteousness a word that shall not return. To me every knee will bow and every 
tongue shall swear allegiance. He's the Savior and He is the King and there is no other. See, the prophet said He shall save His people from their sins. Hebrews 1.3 says, After making purification for sins, Jesus sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Jesus did the work the prophets promised the Messiah would do. He's the Savior King. He is why we celebrate the season. So today, what we're going to do is talk about the Savior King and some of the things that He saves us from and some of the things that He saves us to. Now, because we're a church, we tend to do this in threes and we like tradition, so I'll talk about three of these things. And the first thing is this. He saves us from ourselves. He saves us from ourselves. He would do this for Israel, and He'll do it for us yet again and again and again. See, the people had broken the covenant, and they wanted salvation from their occupiers. And He says, I'm going to save you from yourselves. He tells them in Ezekiel chapter 36, kind of in the middle of the chapter, He says, I'm going to save you, and I'm going to act according to my name, which you have profaned among the nations. I'm going to save you to vindicate my holiness. This is not for you as much as it's for my great name that you have offended. I'll sprinkle clean water on you. You shall be clean from all your uncleanness, Ezekiel 36 says. And from all your idols, I will cleanse you. And then he says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I'll remove the heart of stone from your flesh and I'll put a new heart. I'll give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. He's going to give his people a heart to know him, a heart to love his law. That's how Ezekiel said it. Jeremiah said it this way, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my law within them. It's no longer going to be on stone tablets, but in their hearts. I'll be their God and they will be my people. He will be God with them. Emmanuel is coming. No longer shall each one teach his neighbor and his brother saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sins no more. He's going to save them from their sins and from themselves. This is the new covenant that's not just promised to Israel. It's promised to us. Hebrews 10, 14 through 17, speaking about Jesus says, For by a single offering, He is perfected for all time. Those who are being sanctified in the Holy Spirit bears witness for us saying, This is the covenant I will make with them. He's quoting these Old Testament passages. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my law on their hearts and write them on their minds. Then He adds, I will remember their sins, their lawless deeds no more. This is the baby Jesus that God promised. And I think the danger for us when we think about the Savior King and how He saves us from ourselves is we can kind of live and walk and think, I'm a pretty good guy, I'm a pretty good girl. You know, we kind of forget actually that we really need saving from sin at all. Maybe Jesus could just come tweak me a little bit. Maybe he could buff off the rough edges. I mean, I'm not as bad as those people. I'm not as bad as this guy. Maybe kind of we think about it like we're, we're kids and we've been out playing in the dirt and mom says, hey, come in and wash up. It's time for dinner. Clean your hands. 
And what we end up doing when we do that is we just tack Jesus onto our dreams and make Him our dream fulfiller when sometimes our dreams aren't His dreams. We'll take Jesus and add Him onto our magic when sometimes our magic ain't really magic at all. Now I liken it to this. There's this phrase that we use. Maybe it's lifting weights. Maybe it's in sports. Maybe it's something that you want to accomplish. And we say, bro, you got this. Or hey, girl, you got this. I think about, I hear that where I work out sometimes, and you can tell I don't have it very much, right? There's a young man that's a a friend of ours that's walking with the Lord, and Laura and I have been spending time with him and this young lady, and and sometime next year, Lord willing, he's going to ask her to marry him. You wonder, well, does she know? Yes, she knows. It's okay. But he was talking to me about it, and I could tell he was a little nervous, and I said, hey, bro, you got this. But here's the reality. When it comes to the brokenness of our lives, to our own sinfulness, to to the hearts of rebellion that we have, to the generational things that bind us, we ain't got this. We need a Savior. We need a King. And sometimes we forget this. There's this danger for us that we don't actually think that we need saving. And in the most amazing way, God saves. My family, last night, we drove down to, to burn it to Main Street, Bethlehem. And I had heard it was a neat little place from my wife. She said, we need to go do this. And I thought, yeah, that sounds fun. So she plans it with some friends. We go, we drive down there. And there's this long line, about an hour and a half. And I think, just honestly, man, my kids are going to be horrible in this line. And they weren't, praise God. That was our Christmas miracle. They were amazing. They were really, really good. But you walk in this long line like people would have walked for this census that Caesar had decreed. And then outside of Bethlehem, one of our kids goes, look, there's the star. They got this big star shining that it looks like you would think, oh, that's where it is. And then you get into Bethlehem and, and it's, it's so crowded. It's so crowded, in fact, that we, we got lost from one another and we did what they would have done in the first century. We got out our cell phones and we, we texted, you know. There's the, the smell of animals, and it's loud, and I'm just talking about our minivan on the way down there, but it feels really like you're in first century Bethlehem. And in the most obscure place, kind of in the back, see our son, he just kept going, hey, there's a star, but where is it? You see the Roman soldiers, you see the people working in the wood shop, but in the most obscure place in this rocky terrain, on a hillside, in a village outside the main city. In this little cave that was turned into a makeshift stable, all of a sudden it became the makeshift throne room for the Savior of the world. God in the flesh, Jesus the Savior King was born and through Him and Him alone we find salvation from our sins and from ourselves. It's a most unlikely place. And there God made His dwelling among us in Jesus And He was and is the Savior King. He's the one who blots out our transgressions. He's the one who forgives our iniquities. He saves us not by going to war or wielding weapons, but by laying down His life. As we walked through this place, everybody was friendly except the Roman soldiers. And you see these big guys with their swords, and then you see this little baby. So helpless. And you think, is that really the way God's going to do this? And in fact, that is the way 
God did this. And I kept thinking and thinking and thinking, how do you illustrate this? How do you illustrate this? And I think you don't illustrate it. Jesus is not just the substance of this reality. He is the illustration. John 1.18, no one has ever seen God, but the only God who is at the Father's side, this is Jesus who's at the Father's side because he made purification for our sins. He has made him known. He has explained him. He is the Savior King, not Saul or David or anybody else. And so to him, he saves us from ourselves and he calls us to surrender. He calls us to surrender. Now, surrender a great word at Christmas, I think it is because of the one to whom we surrender. See, he's, he's more obedient than Adam He's more faithful than Noah. He trusted the Father more than Abraham. He brought a covenant better than the one Moses brought. He's stronger than Saul. He's more gentle than David. He's wiser than Solomon. Nobody and nothing in all the world compares to the God who came down as a baby wrapped in cloths. No present you'll ever give or receive. No status you'll ever bestow or achieve. No house, no car, no amount of money, and nothing from the bar can ever, ever bring to you what God has brought you in Jesus Christ. He will save you from yourself. He will save me from myself if we just surrender. Well, not only does He save us from ourselves, He saves us from futile ways of living. He saves us from futile ways of living. Peter is talking to these people, the church, about God, how He saved them. And he says, be holy. Live your lives in reverent fear because you call Him Father. This one who judges impartially according to each one's deeds. So he says, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. What's the time of exile? Our time on earth because we're in God's family. We're citizens of heaven. Knowing that you were ransomed, you were saved from what? The futile ways inherited from your forefathers. Not with perishable things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, the lamb without blemish or spot. You were saved from the futile ways of living handed down to you from your forefathers. Now Christmas can be an amazing time with, with family. I was talking to my friends Lonzo and Nellie about how they had gotten together with family last night to see some choir sing and it can be this beautiful wonderful time with family but it can also be a really really hard time with family now if your family's here with you I know everything's perfect at your Christmas (laughs) right but it can also for some not you but for some it can be a time where we're really reminded of brokenness in our families, patterns of dysfunction, manipulation, deceit, pain, or abuse. And Jesus wants to redeem you from that and show you a different way from this futile way of life into a new family, a new community of God's people. That's the work He came to do. We wrestle with this. We all wrestle with this brokenness of generational sins and are we going to be bound by it? There is a singer-songwriter that I I love, and this might offend some of you. If it does, it's Christmas, forgive me. His name's John Mayer. And I really love John Mayer because he's just an amazing guitarist, and I'm not um, at all. And I also love that even though they're broken, he just 
He's asking honest questions. He's, he's not found Christ. He's not found the way, but he's searching. And so there's one of his songs called, Is It In The Blood? And he's just asking, am I bound to the brokenness of the way of life handed down to me? So just a couple of verses. I'll not sing them for you. That would not be a good Christmas present. But he says, how much of my mother has my mother left in me? And how much of my love will be insane to some degree? And what about this feeling that I'm never good enough? Will it wash out in the water or is it always in the blood? Can I get clean from this? Can I be free from this? How much of my father am I destined to become? Will I dim the lights inside me just to satisfy someone? Will I let the woman kill me? Or do away with jealous love? Will it wash out in the water or is it always in the blood? He says, I can feel the love I want. I can feel the love I need. But it's never going to come the way I am. He knows he can't do this on his own. Could I change it if I wanted? Can I rise above the flood? Will it wash out in the water or is it always in the blood? Are we bound by generational sins? Can we be free from this futile way of living handed down to us from our forefathers? And the answer is yes, it's in Jesus. It's only in Jesus. That's what John Mayer doesn't yet get. And man, I hope he does one day. It's not in our striving to be better. It's not in our dreams or our magic. It's only in Jesus. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And today, if you need to be saved from yourself or from the futile way of life handed down to you from broken generational bondage, Jesus is the Savior King who saves from that. We'll go from John Milton to another great poet, but he's from the 17th century. His name was John Milton and he says, this is the month and this is the happy morn wherein the Son of Heaven's eternal King of wedded maid and virgin mother born our great redemption from above did bring for so the holy sages once did sing that He our deadly forfeit should release and with His Father work us a perpetual peace. See, Jesus came to bring us peace with God and man. And it can be washed out in His Blood, there's salvation in no one else. There's reconciliation with God and people in no one else. Jesus is not just an ornament on the tree or the centerpiece of the nativity. He's a historical reality that split the veil that separated God from people. He is the Savior King. He saves us from ourselves to surrender to Him. He saves us from futile ways of living into God's family, being part of God's people, into a new community. And then finally, he saves us from small and selfish ambitions. And he gives us life's most meaningful mission. We're a church, and we say we're a church that is for the glory of God, and we make disciples among the nations. That's what we're called to, something so much bigger than ourselves. And Jesus is the one who brought that about. He's the one who brought that about. Luke tells the story of this guy, and he, he's just mentioned this one time. He's one of my favorite characters in Scripture, and he's just sitting in the temple. He's read the Scripture, and he's waiting for the Messiah. He's believed that the Messiah has come, and he's praying to God. He wants to see the Messiah before he dies. That's what he's asking for. So the story in about 
verse 25. It says, there was a man in Jerusalem, Luke 2, 25, his name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you're letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation the Savior King, that you've prepared in the presence of all the peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. This guy is the light that will reveal God to the Gentiles, to all the nations. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. He calls us as his people into this mission. To be light to the nations. See, the figure at the center of the nativity, he's the central figure in all of human history. Nothing, nothing, nothing should compare to the excitement, the joy, the anticipation, hope, and worship we're moved to when we consider whose birth we celebrate at Christmas. Jesus is the Savior King. So over the next nine days, all kinds of things are going to come against us setting our eyes on Jesus, the Savior King. All kinds of distractions, all kinds of busyness, and even many of them part of the season. And we can spend these days wondering, can I make it through this time with family? Can I deal with these people at work? Maybe they're belligerent toward Christmas or belligerent toward you. But I think we've got a better opportunity. We've got a better opportunity We're standing there in line, and Mac, our four-year-old, goes, there's a star. There's the star. It's so bright, you can't not see it. And then we go in, and of course, we're looking for baby Jesus, but you got to pass by the Roman soldiers, and you got to go by the tax office there in in Bethlehem Main Street, and then you got to go into the jewelry area, and then you got to go get this great bread that they're making. And then we walk by these camel pens and we notice over there there's this place called King David's Inn so I took my boys over and we're about an hour and a half from home so I just asked the innkeeper hey we're, we're a little ways from home tonight do you have room shockingly they were full and the innkeeper he says we're full but you know I've told some people out back there's this cave and it's where we keep our animals and there's a there's a young couple there, and my four-year-old's eyes just start getting big. His mouth is just hitting the floor. And as he's telling us about this couple about to have a baby, he goes, I don't know if you'd want your boys back there. The lady's about to have a baby. And his eyes go up. And he's, I mean, it's so close. There's the star, Dad. Let's go. It's right there. And I just wonder if maybe God would have us Just be that star in our community. We'd be that star in our workplace. We'd be that star in those perfect family gatherings that will go exactly how we want them to. We'd be that star in our neighborhood, which really 
All we're doing is shining so that they can see they're really the important star. We can just direct them to where the Savior is. See, He's the Savior King. He'll save us from ourselves and He'll save us into a new community and He'll save us to a mission. So let's pray. God, we thank You for Jesus. We thank You for this amazing reality of the Savior King who has come. And God, let let our excitement be rich and full, not over the gifts that we get to give or receive, not over the great food we will partake of, and ultimately even not, o- not over the time we'll have with others, though that will be great and amazing, but all that's great and amazing because Jesus is the Savior King. So Lord, let us with joy shine like that star above the stable. Father, would you help us, your people, as we celebrate um, to point people to the place to come and worship, to come and find salvation, to come and meet their King. Would you help us do that, Lord? There's no other God beside you. We're fully dependent on you, God. So be our joy this Christmas and be glorified our lives together. In Jesus' name, amen. You're dismissed.